Right, grab your Bibles. Let's just <clears throat> pray before we start. Father, we pray that as we continue this series of studies on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask that <clears throat> you will actually set us free so that we can more and more begin to move in them. Lord, we know that this is something that only you can do. Lord, we know that this is a, a sovereign work of your Spirit. But Lord, we pray that the freedom of Jesus will just be manifested in our lives more and more. Father, just really open up your word now. Give us real understanding of it. Because we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> right, okay. Uh, we come to the second of our talks on the subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you just be finding 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, that's the whole area that we're dealing with. And uh, last week we did the introduction and we saw some fairly important things in regards to it. And this week we actually move on to start looking at the individual gifts of the Spirit themselves. But there's just a couple of things that I want to recap on from what we were saying last week. And you'll remember that we ended last week's talk with, with two things. Firstly, we were saying that the gifts of the Spirit are for men, they're not for angels. They're for men and women and children, they're not for angels. And we were seeing that everything that God creates, He creates in such a way that it is fitted to the environment that it's supposed to exist in. Hence, God wanted fish in the sea, he gave them gills. He wanted birds in the air, he gave them wings. Can you see? And in precisely the same way, the gifts of the Spirit are tailored to human experience because they are meant to be working amongst human beings. And we saw that as human beings, we function, we, we live, we experience in the areas of thought, word and deed. And we noted that therefore it would come as no surprise to us to discover that of the nine gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, that in fact three of them were to do with the area of thought, the gift of discernment, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. That three of them were to do with word, tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy, and that three of them were to do with deed, what I'm going to call the action gifts, the gift of faith, the working of miracles and gifts of healings. So that was the first thing that we saw. And secondly, we saw as well, very, very briefly, that when Paul deals with the whole area about the gifts of the Spirit, he spends an awful lot of time on the word gifts. And so therefore we are going to as well. Because there are certain reasons why it's very important to come to terms with the word gifts. That's why Paul spends more time on it, and we'll be seeing what that's about just in a few moments. But there's just one thing that I want you now to be bearing in mind right through this series of talks that we're going to be doing. And it's quite simply this. You must realise that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for everyone. They are not just for some Christians. They are for every Christians. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, 
make love your aim and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now that is a, a, a sort of open statement to Christians. Earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And of course in his word, God is not going to invite us to desire something that we can't have. The gifts of the Spirit are for everyone. Go down into verse 26. He says, what then, brethren, when you come together, and here he's talking about when the church comes together for worship, he says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, <clears throat> a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And I want you to bear that in mind. God wants you, and he wants me, to move in the gifts of the Spirit, but especially, he wants you to. Not so much the person sitting next to you, but the gifts of the Spirit are for you. And that's tremendously important. And throughout this series, sort of decide it in your heart, between you and the Lord, Lord, I want to move in the gifts of the Spirit. And let these studies that we're doing simply be your game plan for getting there. That's all I'm doing. I'm just going to give you a game plan, alright? And you use it to break through in the gifts of the Spirit with the Lord. Now then, we're going to start tonight by looking at the gift of tongues and interpretation. And you're going to find, as I've already said, that we're going to be doing quite a few studies simply on the word gifts. Paul gives them the most coverage and we're going to as well. Now part of the reason for that is that as you're going to see, obviously, the verbal gifts of the Spirit, tongues, interpretation and prophecy, are the most used, alright? you can expect that they are going to be manifested more frequently than the others, and that's right and proper. But there's another reason as well, and the reason is this. <clears throat> you see, one of the things that separates us from the animal kingdom, and in fact one of the things that is a direct witness that we are created in the image of God, is that we have speech. We can actually use our tongues to communicate ideas that we understand. And of course the reason that we can speak in such a way, the reason that we can use our tongues for communication is precisely because God does as well. God wants to communicate. God is a rational being and he wants to communicate with others beside himself. And in 1 John, uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1, we're told in the beginning was the word. We saw last week that God isn't a dumb idol. He wants to speak. And so we can see that there's a tremendous importance based upon the mere fact that you and I, by having been created in the image of God, can actually speak. And this is why the gifts of the Spirit that relate to the tongue, tongues, interpretation and prophecy, are so tremendously important. Now let's immediately dive in and we'll deal first of all with the gift of tongues itself. Now, while we're going to be doing this, centering on the gift of tongues, there's a distinction that you must keep clear in your mind. And the distinction is this. You've got to separate quite clearly in your own head between what I'm going to call the personal gift of tongues and the public ministry of tongues. It's a gift that works on two levels. 
on one level it works as a personal gift but on another level which is totally different it works as a public ministry now bear that in mind as we go through this study it will become clear later but you see we need to understand the uniqueness of what I'm calling personal tongues because of the gifts of the spirit it really is unique and we need to understand why it is you see when you're talking about the gifts of the spirit in general one picture that I like and that lots of people use is the idea of presence around a Christmas tree alright because they're gifts of the Holy Spirit but you see when some people use that picture the, the thing that they do is they say un, under the Christmas tree there are gifts there, healings or whatever it is, miracles, and it's got your name on. That gift has got your name on. You dive under the Christmas tree and you claim the gift by faith. All right. Now that's the picture they use. Now in actual fact that picture isn't actually correct. Because it kind of cuts away, really, at what the gifts of the Spirit are all about. You see, because, you see, the thing is that Christmas, say Christmas morning, I know that kids dive straight under the Christmas tree and they grab all their prezzies, but that isn't really the idea of it, is it? In nice, orderly families, what happens is that the gifts are distributed to those whose names are on it. So, you see, the picture is more like this. There may be someone who needs a gift of the Spirit. Maybe they're ill and need healing, or whatever. And under the Christmas tree, there's a gift of the Spirit for them. But you see, the point is, in the true spirit of Christianity, and of course Christmas, someone else takes the gift from under the Christmas tree and gives it to them. Can you see? Hence, if someone needs healing, someone else in the body lays hand on them. Can you see? With the gifts of the Spirit, it's not diving in there to get the gift with your name on. It's diving in there to say, Lord, there's a gift here for somebody else. Might I be the one who can minister it to them? Can you see what I'm saying? So the gifts round the Christmas tree, the gifts of the Spirit, all the presses there with people's names on, don't dive in for the one with your name on. Dive in and find the one that is for somebody else. Can you see? And then minister it to them. Later on in the course, we're going to be emphasising very heavily that in reality, the gifts of the Spirit are a bit like Quality Street. They're made for sharing. And this idea that you just dive into the gift with your name on, it kind of erodes that basis. So, you see, the thing is, in the gifts of the Spirit, the person who ministers is merely a channel. If someone needs healing... There's a gift of healing under the Christmas tree. But someone else gets it and gives it to them. The person who receives the gift of healing isn't the one who lays hands on them. It's the one who's healed. The person who ministers the gift is merely the channel, you see. But you see, the thing is that now we come to the uniqueness of the gift of personal tongues. And the uniqueness is this. It's the one gift under the Christmas tree that has got our name on, and we can go and get it, you see. The thing is that the gift of personal tongues is purely for our own individual benefit, all right? So if you've got the gift of personal tongues, that is purely for you. It's not for anyone else. That is purely a gift for you, and it's, it's for your own benefit. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, Paul says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So when you have the personal gift of tongues, 
That is pure. It's a gift that you can turn on and off at will because it's there to edify you at any time. Now, this word edify, I see that the gifts of the Spirit, amongst other things, are to edify. And the gift of tongues is to edify yourself. Now, the Greek word is oikodomio, and it comes from two separate Greek words, oikos, which means a home, and demo, to build. And it specifically means to build a home, or to build a house. And in fact, remember, when Jesus said, I will build my church, it's exactly the same word, and we're going to be moving on to that aspect of things later on in this series. But to edify yourself, it literally means to build a house. And in 1 Peter 2, in verse 4, he says this, he says, Come to him, that living stone, be yourselves built into a spiritual house. So the point is that through you praying in tongues, what is happening is that you are building yourself up in your faith. You are enabling yourself to grow in your faith and enabling yourself to grow in the Christian life. In the letter of Jude in verse 20, he says this, Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Spirit. You see, that's how we know that Jews there is referring to speaking in tongues. Because you build yourself up in the Spirit when you pray in tongues. So at the moment, we're looking at the personal gift of tongues. Not the public one, we'll come on to that later. But with the personal gift of tongues, it's unique because it's the only gift that you are given to minister to yourself. It's got your name on it, not someone else's. And you can turn it on and off at will because it's building you up in your most holy faith. It's making you strong as a Christian. So then let's ask ourselves, right, sounds good, but what exactly is the gift of tongues. What are these tongues that the Holy Spirit gives? Uh, find 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. And Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So in actual fact, the gift of tongues is either a human or an angelic language. So that when someone's speaking in tongues, they might be speaking a language that is angelic, not of earthly origin at all, or they are going to be speaking in a tongue which is of earthly origin. And of course, just think of the hundreds of different languages there are on earth, to say nothing of the ones that have long since gone. All right. So therefore, tongues is speaking in a language, whether human or angelic, which you have never learned. You've never been taught it, and therefore, because you've never learned it, because you've never been taught it, you don't understand what the language means that you're speaking. And in fact, the point that you don't understand it, that is the whole point of it. Now, go to chapter 14 and verse 2. Now, listen to what Paul says. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Now go down to verse 14. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So that what you've got here in tongues is a spiritual language that is going directly from your spirit via the Holy Spirit to Father in heaven. 
and that what we're going to see it is, it is either prayer or praise or worship. And it is precisely the thing that you need to be praying at that particular moment. You won't know what it is because you don't know what the language is. But the Holy Spirit is enabling you to pray just the thing that is actually needed at that particular time for you. And that what's happening is, is that you're literally charging up your spirit. That really is what speaking in tongues is all about. You know, you can buy now these rechargeable batteries and you have a little charger unit. And that when the batteries run down, you shove them in the charger and plug it in and they recharge. That is what speaking in tongues is. It's literally a spiritual battery charger. When we can plug in afresh to the power of God and... Uh, like you remember, I said once a few weeks ago that uh, Dwight L. Moody was asked if he was uh, filled with the Spirit, and he said, yes, but I leak. And of course, we all need topping up, don't we? And that therefore, speaking in tongues personally is one of the means that God has given us whereby we can top up the spiritual power, like plugging ourselves into a battery charger. But there's another way in which I think of the gift of tongues, and this also is very important, because I think of it as being like your tuner on your, your radio, all right? And that now, out there, God is transmitting gifts of the Spirit, all right? And we need to break through in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But you see, the thing is that speaking in tongues, it kind of turns your spiritual tuner until you've hit the right wavelength. It tunes you in to what the Holy Spirit wants to be doing through you. Now we're going to be seeing that one of the important things about the verbal gifts is that they are the key to getting released in the other gifts as well. It's the verbal gifts that come first. And that tongues acts almost as kind of tuning in to the wavelength, the spiritual wavelength that God is transmitting on at that particular moment. So that by using tongues, you're going to, as it were, home in on what God is doing. And it will open you to be, you, open you to God using you through the other gifts of the Spirit as well. So therefore, given that we're seeing that tongues, it tops you up spiritually, it's a battery charger, it's a direct link between your spirit and God, even though you don't know what the language is, and that it enables you to tune in to what God is doing, we can therefore see that speaking in tongues is a very wonderful and a very marvellous gift. And you see, again, the uniqueness of it is that you can turn it on and off at will because it's for your own benefit. You can use it whenever you need to. And that therefore, really, if you think about it, we ought to be praying in tongues every day. I'm not one of these people who says half hour in tongues every day or anything. I mean, we're not talking about that. But getting to the swing of praying in tongues. You can pray in tongues when you're driving along. Although, although make sure you can. Or right, I'll just bang that in. Some people can definitely just be praying in tongues while they're driving along, all right? Don't, don't try if you think you can't. Obviously, you've got to concentrate, you know, sort of on the road. But you can speak in tongues when you're washing up. You can speak in tongues when you're doing the shopping. Can you see it's a gift that can be used at any time during the day? And it needs to be used often because it plays a very important part in keeping us close to the Lord and open to what it is that he wants to be doing. Now, that leads on to another question. And this question is quite simply this, 
is every Christian supposed to speak in tongues? Are all Christians supposed to speak in tongues? There's no use me trying to avoid this. It's one of those questions. It's got to be dealt with head on because it, it, it comes up so often. But what I want to show you from the Bible, and remember it's what the Bible says that matters, nothing else. I'm going to show you from the Bible that if you are baptised with the Spirit, and remember every Christian is supposed to be baptised with the Spirit, I mean, we live in an age where you get Christians who aren't baptised in the Spirit. I mean, I'll tell you, that would have knocked the early church for six. When you read through the Acts of the Apostles, if they ever met someone who hadn't been baptised in the Spirit, well, zonk, on went the hands, and uh, they were baptised in the Spirit. You know, I mean, there wasn't any, you know, well, I mean, you need a few years to grow mature in the Lord, and then you can be baptised in the Spirit. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's like sending a soldier out on the battlefield without giving him a gun. So the point is that the Bible is very clear that every Christian should be baptised in the Spirit. Now, what the Bible teaches is that if you are baptised in the Spirit, you have this ability. If you have been baptised in the Spirit, you have the gift of tongues. But, and this but is a tremendously important one. Because it has been extremely unhelpful, the emphasis in some sections of the church, which equates speaking in tongues with being baptised with the Spirit. Which I haven't said. I have, I'm going to show you that the Bible says that if you are baptised in the Spirit, then you can speak in tongues. The Bible does not teach that when you are baptised in the Spirit, you will by definition speak in tongues then. Now, what do I mean? You see, the thing is that all Christians who are filled with the Spirit can speak in tongues, but for a multitude of different reasons. Many Christians take time to come through into the gift. Can you see what I'm saying? So we need to understand that every Christian can speak in tongues, but for whatever reason, many, many Christians don't come through into the gift of tongues as early as perhaps they could. And that the important thing to do is that if you haven't broken through yet, don't worry. It's as simple as that. Now, there are some Christians who would teach, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptised in the Spirit. That is rubbish. That's absolute rubbish. I mean, that just isn't true. It's not what the Bible teaches. Some say that speaking in tongues is the sign of having been baptised in the Spirit. Therefore, if you don't speak in tongues, you haven't been baptised in the Spirit. That isn't what the Bible teaches at all. But the Bible does teach that all Spirit-filled believers can speak in tongues, but there are various reasons, and we're going to have a look at them, why it is that some believers don't speak in tongues, even though they have been baptised in the Spirit. So what is the problem? What are the kind of things that prevent people uh, from actually speaking in tongues? Well, the first one is unbelief. Quite simply, if you don't believe that you can, you won't. Now, go to verse 5a. This is all in 1 Corinthians 14. 5a? Yeah, verse 5, the first bit of the verse. If I say 5a, that means the first bit of the verse. 5a and b are both parts of the verse. However, if you get a really long verse, then part b is the middle as opposed to part c that's the end. But I don't want to confuse you anymore. Just go to 1 Corinthians 14 and the first part of verse 5. Now listen to what Paul says. This is the word of God. He says, now I want you all to speak 
in tongues. Now, it couldn't be more, more clearer than that. Paul doesn't say here that he's expressing his own opinion. You'll remember that when Paul spoke about the single state, he clearly stated his own opinion, and he said it was his own opinion. He divested it of divine authority. He doesn't do that here. This is divine authority. Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. And he wouldn't have said that if all couldn't speak in tongues. So the first thing is, is you've got to realise it is God's will for you to speak in tongues. But if you doubt that for whatever reason, then you won't speak in tongues. So you see, when you've got Christians who are saying, oh, I don't know if God wants me to speak in tongues, well, there's no way you're going to speak in tongues. Can you see? Because you're not believing what the Bible actually says. Keep your finger in there and go to Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> Two very important verses here relating to the gifts of the Spirit. First of all, verse 2 and then verse 5. Paul says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit? This is talking about the baptism in the Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul says you got baptised in the Spirit by hearing with faith. You heard that Jesus wanted to do it, you believed it, you asked him and it was done. Now go down into verse 5. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, the gifts of the Spirit, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. So Paul is reminding the Galatian church there that, well, I mean, he's speaking much wider than the gifts of the Spirit, but we're interested in the gifts of the Spirit. He's reminding them that they came into ministering the gifts of the Holy Spirit simply by faith. Now, faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Faith is believing. To receive the gifts of the Spirit, you must first believe that they are available. So therefore, with the gift of tongues, it is available for you. But if you doubt that, all right, if you don't believe it's available for you, then that's unbelief, and that obviously is going to block the Holy Spirit actually doing it. So therefore, you've got to settle in your mind. Lots of Christians don't speak in tongues because of unbelief. There's no need to have unbelief about it. The Bible quite clearly teaches that speaking in tongues is for all believers. A second reason that some people don't speak in tongues is fear. Fear. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Because there are Christians who are fearful, and uh, actually sometimes through some of the teaching that goes out about the gifts of the Spirit, I, I don't really blame them. The idea that you can sort of quite innocently ask the Lord to baptise you with the Spirit and you end up with a demonic tongue. You know, and I mean, there is scaremongering teaching that goes around. You know, I mean, I've often read it in various books. I'm not surprised that that puts the wind up, people, in regards to the gifts of the Spirit, especially speaking in tongues. But Matthew chapter 7, let's start reading from verse 7. And Jesus says this, he says, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Let me give you the literal Greek of that because it is important. Ask and go on asking and you will go on, you know, God will go on giving it to you. It says, seek, uh, knock and keep on knocking and it will be opened to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will keep on finding. It's a continuous tense in the Greek. So keep going at it. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. But can you see that what Jesus is saying here, is he's saying, look, if you come to Father and ask him for a good gift, and believe me, speaking in tongues is a good gift, all the gifts of the Spirit are good gifts, that if you do come to him and ask him for a good gift, you can be absolutely sure that it's a good gift you're going to get and not something evil. I mean, forget this idea that when you open yourself up to the gifts of the Spirit, kind of stray demons might slip through. Of course stray demons can't slip through. Stray demons can only slip through if there's something wrong in our life that is enabling them to slip through, all right? But that's another matter completely. If you want to be baptised in the Spirit, or if you want to receive the gifts of the Spirit, or if you want to pray in tongues, I mean, get rid of any idea, you know, that you can come to the Lord and yet somehow you might end up with a demonic tongue. Can you see what rubbish that is? And the basis of that being such rubbish is quite simply this. Is God incapable of giving us a gift of the Spirit without Satan sort of interposing a counterfeit before we've actually got it? Can you see the whole idea is absolutely crazy? God will only give us good gifts. Therefore, there is no need to have any fear in regards to the gifts of the Holy Spirit at all. And there is no need to have fear in regards to speaking in <coughs> tongues either. And at some people, they seem to think that speaking in tongues, that you're out of control. Now, out of control tongues possibly are demonic. Either that, or there are some very excitable personalities in the kingdom of God, all right? <laughs> but you see, the point is... The, the gift of tongues will never end you up out of control. And this idea that if you, if you pray for the gift of the tongues, that you're going to be sort of like, you know, swinging from the chandeliers, <laughs> chanting in tongues, unable to stop yourself, I mean, that is just to misunderstand what the gift of tongues is. So therefore, we've got to have it clear in your mind, there's nothing weird or funny about the gifts of tongues. God will only give us good gifts, and that applies to the gift of tongues as well. He's our Father. And if we who are evil give good gifts to our children, well, how much more will God give us good gifts as well? And in Jeremiah 21 verse 11, the Lord says this. He says, For I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil. It's as simple as that. Never fear coming to God and asking him to give you his gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you ask for the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are precisely what you'll get. You won't get satanic counterfeits unless your life is somehow way out of line with the Word of God. I mean, if you went down the local spiritualist church and asked them to lay hands on you, well, I mean, who knows what you might end up with. But can you see the point is that when a believer wants to receive the gifts of the Spirit, is right with God in their hearts and receives ministry, from the body of Christ have no fear you will receive the gifts of the Spirit and that is all so deal with that fear in your hearts because it's one of the ways that Satan tries to prevent Christians stepping out in using the gifts but there's another reason that some Christians fear asking for the gifts and it's feelings of unworthiness you see um, they kind of think oh, oh, oh no it's presumptuous if, if I ask for using the gifts of the Spirit. And they're sort of, these are the Christians who are a bit, they're humble, 
I mean, boy, are these Christians humble, you know? And I mean, they wouldn't dare ask God for anything at all, you know? And so it can, on the surface, look very, very spiritual, but they're kind of, oh, I, I wouldn't presume to, uh, or to ask the Lord, you know, to give me a gift. Well, in Matthew 7, the words of Jesus, what did we just read? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. You see, the point is this. If you're going to say, oh, I, I, I can't expect to be using the gifts of the Spirit, I'm, I'm, I'm so sinful. Well, do you know what my answer to that is? Yes, you are. And no one knows it better than God does. But you see, the point is that God does not wait until we're not sinful before he does anything for us, or he would never, ever end up doing anything for us. Of course we're not worthy. I mean, let's get that out of our heads completely. We must understand that using the gifts of the Spirit is not a sign of spirituality, alright? So if you see someone really free in the gifts of the Spirit, don't sort of step back in amazement. Oh, oh, he's so free, oh, he's so free in the Spirit, oh, flutter. No, rubbish. All that means is that they're free in the Spirit. It means no more nor no less than that. Don't judge spirituality by freedom in the gifts of the Spirit. You judge spirituality through the fruit of the Spirit, character of life. But you see, the point is that, therefore, you don't get the gifts of the Spirit by being worthy, so us being so unworthy does not block us from receiving the gifts of the Spirit at all. In fact, the condition of receiving anything from God is unworthiness. Of course we're not worthy, but that is what grace is all about. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Everything from God is available as a free gift. All it takes is the realisation of our unworthiness. But if you're going to go around and, oh, I'm so unworthy, oh, I'm so unworthy. And what gets me about these Christians who are always reminding you how unworthy they are. Do you know the sort of person I'm talking about? They are always reminding you how unworthy they are, how sinful they are. Sometimes I feel like turning around and saying, for heaven's sake, I know you're so unworthy. I know you're so sinful. It's so obvious. Can you see? Because we are all so sinful. Can you see how crazy it is? That's all we have to offer. There's nothing good in us except the life of Jesus. When he comes out, fine. But when it's us coming out and not him, well, sin is all you've got. So, therefore, don't hold back this thing about unworthiness. Really, if you have this sense of unworthiness, therefore you can't expect God to use you, in actual fact, that's pride. You need to repent of pride. Because in the same way that you get some people who are boasters and they talk big, these people who are down on themselves, that is just the, that's the flip side of pride. They are equally as proud and, and in a few studies time will be coming on to deal with hindrances to the gifts in greater detail and we'll be looking at people just like that. Anyway, so the point is we've seen there's no need for unbelief. The Bible says you can speak in tongues, it's there for you. There's no need for fear. You will only get what you ask for, the gift of tongues. And, and all this stuff about feeling unworthy is crazy as well. Of course you are. That's why you're qualified. But you see, there's another reason that some Christians don't speak in tongues or, and this is common, they do speak in tongues but they don't believe they're speaking in tongues and therefore they've stopped. Do you, do you know the sort of, you know, you say, have you had the gift of tongues? And they... 
Oh well, um, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. Where, whereas I would have thought, I mean, you either have or you haven't. You know, can you see? It's not the sort of thing where it's one or the other. And that there's this uncertainty, and the uncertainty is due to ignorance. You see, some Christians, you sort of say, or, or, or they'll talk to you about the gift of tongues. You see. And you say, have you ever spoken in tongues? And they say, well, well, yeah, people say I have, but I don't, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think it was. And you say, well, what's the problem? And they say, well, it's just me, you see. <laughs> now, may I ask you, who did you expect it to be? Can you, you know, can you see what I mean? And when you've got a Christian who's spoken in tongues, and they say, oh, it's just me, I mean... Who did you expect, the tooth fairy? I mean, who else can speak in tongues? You see, the thing is, we've got to understand what tongues is and what tongues isn't. Speaking in tongues is not the Holy Spirit being a ventriloquist. It's not a divine ventriloquist act, you see. Um, tongues is given to you. Can you see that? So this thing about, oh, it's just me, that, that is perfectly in order. I, I, I would worry if it wasn't. Can you see what I mean? And you see, the thing is, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit enables us to speak in tongues, but the Holy Spirit doesn't himself speak in tongues, you see. Uh, incidentally, as far as we can tell from the Bible, it's the only gift of the Spirit that Jesus himself didn't minister. So we don't know if Jesus spoke in tongues. We know that he used all the other gifts, but there's no instance or hint that Jesus himself spoke in tongues. But you see, the point is, yeah, of course it's just you, the idea is that it's you speaking in tongues. And you see, the thing is, I mean, there are certain tests, because there is such a thing as demonic tongues, you see. And there are certain tests that you can use to find out if it's genuine or if it is demonic. And one of them, if you want to test your tongues, all right, if you're worried that your tongue is demonic, here, here's something you can do, all right. Have a little burst in front of the mirror, all right. <laughs> so find a mirror, all right, and just, just speak in tongues for a couple of minutes. Now, the question is this. Did your lips move? If they didn't, it's not a genuine tongue. Can you see? Because it's demonic tongues that are ventriloquism. Can you see? It's demonic tongues where, whereby an evil spirit can actually speak out of somebody without their lips moving. But can you see? I'm parodying this to a point. But I just want to show you how silly this idea is. Oh, it's just me. Because that's precisely who it's supposed to be. So when, I mean, I, I am happy that my gift of tongues is genuine. And if you see me speaking in tongues, I promise you'll see my lips moving it's as simple as that and it's one of the signs so if you're one of these people and you've had a little mutter 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 and you might have only had one or two words all right and you say oh it's just me well let me tell you everything is perfectly in order it's supposed to be you so keep going <laughs> there's another Rick you see all this comes from ignorance it comes from not understanding what tongues is properly there's another reason you know you get Christians who in fact do I mean they say they don't but when you press them you find out they have but they're doubting it all right so they don't do it anymore. And the other one is that they say, well, well, you know, do you speak in tongues? Well, 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 I'm not sure. Well, do you or don't you? Well, well, I think I did once. Well, well, what makes you think it wasn't? Well, oh, it sounded silly, they said. It sounded like double Dutch. Now, can you see if speaking in tongues is a foreign, possibly angelic language? 
Of course it sounds like double dutch. Foreign languages that you don't understand do sound like double ducks. And you see, remember we've seen it can be foreign or it can even possibly be angelic. Now it's interesting because some years ago when I was based in Suffolk we had a Japanese lady who came along to our fellowship there. Now the thing about foreign languages is that, I mean obviously, you know, the language, you know, the fact that there are many, many different languages in the world, they go back in fact to the Tower of Babel, don't they? But as languages have developed down the years, there are certain languages which have come from other languages and been, you know, influenced by them. So in some languages you can actually recognise a word in the language because it's so like the word in your language. But the point is with some European languages especially, even though you don't know the vocabulary, even though you don't know the grammar, because of the way that that language is actually, you know, sort of the way it works, you can tell that it's a language, can't you? You might not know what the words are meaning, but you can tell it's a language because it has kind of similarities between your language as well. So even though it doesn't make any sense what you're hearing, you can nevertheless say that it is definitely a language. However, Lucy was Japanese. And Japanese has nothing in common whatsoever with, for instance, English. Now, if you hear a Frenchman prying French, or an Italian prying Italian, you won't understand what they're saying, but it's a recognisable language. However, Lucy would often pray out loud in Japanese. All right. So, in fact, for her, she was praying in her own language. For us, well, obviously, we didn't understand what she was going on about at all. But, you see, the thing that's interesting is this. If you ever hear Japanese spoken, it is nothing like a language whatsoever. And when Lucy used to pray, part of the language was even her breathing and little sort of... You know, think really strange. Can you see? It was totally unrecognisable as a language. If you were to hear Lucy praying, it really did sound nonsense. It was unrecognisable as a language. And yet it was a language. It was Japanese. So therefore, if your tongue really does, you know, kind of sound crazy, so what? Foreign languages do sound crazy. It might be Japanese but it might be one of the angelic languages. Can you see? I mean, just go ahead and do it. Of course it's going to sound crazy. That is what speaking in tongues does sound like because it's a foreign language. So therefore, step out in faith and do it. If you've kind of had a few, you know, clicks and bangs or, you know, whatever it is, these noises that, you know, sort of like creep out of your mouth, stick to it. Work on it. Practice makes perfect. And remember, any idea of feeling, oh, I feel silly, oh, I feel a right, right twit, that's pride. That's pride. You know, that, that's got to be repented of. So the thing is, with tongues, step out in faith. Practice makes perfect. And if you're one of those Christians who hasn't got tongues yet, I say simply this. Now you know that tongues is there for you. Pray to the Lord, ask him to give it to you, and then forget about it. Don't try, don't worry about it, 
don't go forward for ministry at every meeting you go to because that would just screw you up even more simply wait on the Lord because whatever barrier it is inside of you that's preventing you from speaking in tongues let God deal with that and give him time so if you're not speaking in tongues yet don't worry about it know that it's there for you God wants you to have it ask for it and then just wait don't get worried about it it doesn't matter if you're not speaking in tongues yet and let's face it if eventually you go on to be with the Lord and you've never broken through in tongues well so what I mean it's, it's no big deal but all I'm saying is it's there the Lord wants us to have it and as long as you don't get screwed up and worried about it because worry will close you off to the gifts of the Spirit just be at peace let it come in God's own good time don't get head up about it God wants you to have it and therefore you can be absolutely at peace that as long as you're open to receive it in your own mind then in God's time and in God's way he will ensure that you actually do receive it right so let's move on now to what I've called the public ministry of tongues we've dealt with personal tongues that's just between you and the Lord you can use it any time that you want but now we're going to move on to what I call the public ministry of tongues and you see the problem with the Corinthian church and in fact this is why Paul wrote so much about it so all things work together for good I mean the Corinthian church was in such a mess it was unbelievable you see and yet because it was in such a mess we have such valuable teaching all things work together for good but at Corinth they had got the two mixed up alright they weren't distinguishing between public ministry tongues and personal tongues and therefore I mean sort of they were standing up and speaking in tongues in worship any time they, they felt like it and the whole thing was going over the top and uh, the whole thing was getting absolutely out of hand now with the public ministry of tongues it is different to the personal gift of tongues alright because public ministry tongues are only to be given when God wants everyone present to understand what was said so the point is that with your personal tongues you can do that any time you like but with personal tongues sorry with public ministry tongues you are only to speak out loud in tongues in a meeting when you know that the Lord is actually moving you to because he wants everyone present to understand what was said now we've seen that personal tongues are for everyone but this public ministry of tongues isn't for everyone. Not every believer will be used in public ministry of tongues, alright? Just go to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 29. Paul says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? And here he's talking about ministries, and of course the answer is of course not, alright? He says, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. So in fact we're going to see that the public ministry of tongues, unlike personal tongues, is not going to be used by everybody. Okay, It's a specific ministry that God gives to some people. So then what we've got to ask is what happens then? What happens leading up to a public tongue being given? Well you see the thing is that the Holy Spirit 
will give a specific leading to somebody to speak out loud in tongues and at the same time they will have an assurance they will have an inner knowing that an interpretation is going to follow therefore the result is that everybody knows what the tongue meant and therefore everyone can say amen to it and of course Paul says that if you've got this public ministry of speaking in tongues pray that you'll be able to interpret tongues as well the two go to you know the two they go hand in hand they go together so with public tongues what will happen is that you will have a specific leading to speak out loud in a tongue and you will have an assurance that afterwards an interpretation is going to follow what you must not do is to mix it up with just wanting to pray in your personal tongues because you're feeling the moving of the Spirit. Can you see? That would be unhelpful, that would be wrong. It's a question of knowing that it's a specific leading to actually pray out loud in tongues because God wants an interpretation to follow so that everyone can know exactly what that tongue meant. So let's move on on now to the interpretation and look at interpretation of tongues you see here again immediately this is the difference between personal tongues and public ministry tongues your personal tongues won't get interpreted some people they practice speaking in tongues and then interpreting it be very very careful of that practice it's completely unscriptural completely unscriptural interpretation is for the public ministry of tongues not for personal tongues so your own personal tongues that won't be interpreted it will only be interpreted if God leads you to use it in public alright okay so then the point is my personal tongue and your personal tongue it builds you up it builds me up I pray in tongues it helps me but you see my personal tongue is of no use to you whatsoever it doesn't help you in the slightest. And you see, you don't need my personal tongue to build you up because you can have your own personal tongue to build you up. Can you see? So my personal tongue helps me. It's of no use to you whatsoever. It can't build you up. You can have your own personal tongue for doing that. Okay. So then, any time that someone speaks out loud in tongues, that can only be of benefit to anyone else if it's the Holy Spirit leading, which means an interpretation will follow, so you know what's been said. Can you see what I mean? Therefore, in a meeting, to have uninterpreted tongues, you know, someone standing up and praying in a personal tongue, which isn't going to be interpreted because it's not a public ministry tongue, they've got them mixed up, that is of no use to anybody whatsoever. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 14, let's start reading from verse 6. Because Paul really lays this on, it's important. He says, Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how shall I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Remember, Corinth has gone over the top using personal tongues all the time. Can you see? They're using it publicly when they shouldn't have been. He says, if even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? 
He says, so with yourselves. If you in a tongue utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? You will be speaking into the air. Can you see? Absolute waste of time speaking into the air, doing no good whatsoever. He says there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. He says, so with yourself, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And of course, using personal tongues in public doesn't build up anyone. And Paul is urging them, look, get this right. Stop abusing personal tongues and using it in public. So he says, therefore, he who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind. All right. He says, I will sing with the spirit, they're singing in tongues, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, I speak in tongues, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say the amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? You may well give thanks, but the other man is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul isn't down on tongues. He's simply down on the wrong use of personal tongues in public. But he says, look, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, Paul goes out of his way to emphasize that. I've gone out of my way to emphasize it. We must not have personal tongues used in public. Now, there's one exception. It can be fine if someone asks for prayer and we're praying for somebody just to, you know, sort of be muttering away in your tongue's language. So no problem with that. But the point is you mustn't stand up in a meeting and give out a personal tongue. Can you see? It's no good to anyone. It's got to be a public ministry of tongues, and that can only happen when the Holy Spirit himself leads, and then an interpretation will come, and everyone will know what has been said in that tongue. Now then, something that uh, often, uh, you know, sort of gets some people a bit, you know, sort of they get, uh, you know, a bit confused about it, is that sometimes you get a short tongue and a long interpretation. So, for instance, I mean, sort of, you know, I've known people who've timed it, and they say, that tongue was 43 seconds, but the interpretation was 2 minutes and 50 seconds, you see, stuff like that. Or, alternatively, sometimes you can get a tongue that's sort of like 3 minutes 54 seconds, and the interpretation is only 2 minutes 10 seconds. Now, what on earth is going on there? Well, the first thing to understand is that it's interpretation of tongues. It's not translation. Even literal translation doesn't mean that it's going to... A literal translation is not always the same number of words. But you see, the point is, when you interpret a tongue, you are not translating it, you are interpreting it. And an interpretation is not word for word. An interpretation is the general gist. It's the burden of what was said. It was the core of what was said. You translate one language into another, but you interpret a tongue rather like you do the weather. 
Or you interpret a poem, you interpret a painting, uh, you can interpret a dream. Can you see? So don't expect them to be equal lengths. This is no problem. It's not a translation of that tongue that was spoken. It's an interpretation. And do you remember in Daniel 5, uh, just before Babylon fell to Medo-Persia, you had that episode of the writing on the wall. Do you remember? And the king went down and on the wall was many, many taken and passing. All right? And then an interpretation was given, you have been tried in the balances and you've been found wanting, and, and so it goes on. Now, in that particular instance, that, that's the closest thing to tongues and interpretation in the Bible. It's not strictly, but the point is it's an interpretation, and that the message, if you like, was four words, the interpretation was 35 words. So, can you see, interpretation is very, very loose. It's not a translation in any way at all. Now, I just want to say something very, very quickly here about the difference between an interpreted tongues and a prophecy. Next time, we're going to do a whole study on this because it's very, very important. But I just want to chuck this in very, very quickly. Find chapter 14 and verse 5 again. Now, the thing with a tongue that is interpreted and a prophecy, they are both equal in that both are understood. A prophecy is understood. And when a tongue has been interpreted, that also is understood. They are equal in that sense, all right. But there is also a profound difference between them. Now then, let's just read verse 5. Look, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. So prophecy and interpretation of tongues are equal in that both are understood, and therefore both edify the church. But there the similarity ends. Look at verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And verse 5, verse 3, On the other hand, he who prophesies speaks to men. Now just very, very quickly, get this understanding in your mind. A tongue is always man to God. A tongue is always prayer, praise or worship. Therefore, the interpretation is going to be the prayer that was prayed or the praise that was given or the worship that was expressed. All right. Whereas prophecy is a message directly coming from God to man. So just get that. We'll be spending a whole evening on this next week because it is important. But tongues is man to Godward from man to God. Prophecy is always God to man. And of course, what's happening is that nowadays we're getting tongues, we're getting interpretation of tongues and prophecy mixed up. And that we're going to see there's an order as well. Because when we come together, the order is interpretation of tongues and then prophecy comes later. It's like tonight we had a prophecy, but the prophecy came in response to a tongue. Now, the prophecy was still a prophecy, so no problem, we haven't lost a thing, but the proper interpretation of tongues got left out, and this is just due to, not, you know, to the fact that we haven't understood what the Bible says. So next time we'll be dealing with that in, uh, in great uh, detail. So 
A tongue, when it's interpreted, is always prayer, praise or worship, whereas a prophecy is always God speaking directly to you. All right. And next time we will home in on the difference. Now, what I want to do now is to look at the rules in the Bible for the public ministry of tongues. Uh, the rule for the personal ministry of tongues is simply this. Don't do it in public, all right? So, I mean, that's easy. Uh, obviously, if, if you're in a group of people, say we were praying for somebody tonight, sometimes Robert will say, let's just all pray softly in the Spirit. No problem with that. No problem with that at all. But basically, the rule for personal tongues is keep it personal, all right? But we've got to have the rules now for the public ministry of tongues and interpretation. And the rules are in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. So then, he says, What then, brethren, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. If any speak in a tongue, so he's dealing with public ministry of tongues here, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silence in church and speak to himself and to God. Now there are a kind of a couple of things there. The rules for it are this. When we come together, there can be three messages in tongues at the most before an interpretation then you start again this has been very much misunderstood what Paul is saying is that certainly you can have two or three people speak in tongues and that might flow and then the interpretation will come after those two or three people have finished but the point is once you've had two or three messages in tongues there must then be no more public ministry of tongues until the interpretation has come for the tongues that have happened when they've been duly interpreted you can carry on can you see he's not saying three tongues and that's it for the whole meeting that'd be a bit boring if you're having a night of prayer wasn't it? I mean, obviously, if you're praying and worshipping for 20 minutes, well, then three's going to be enough, isn't it? I mean, let's be sensible about this. The Holy Spirit is. But it can't be three full stop, because sometimes the Lord leads people to have all-night prayer meeting, all-night prayer and worship, or all-day prayer and worship. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's after 10 minutes, you've used up your quote of tongues and interpretation, and that's it, right? Sit down, shut up, don't want any more. No, it's not saying that. It's just saying that when you've had three, that's enough. No more until we've got the interpretations through. Or it gets lost. Can you see? That's the point. It, you know, it just gets absolutely lost. So then, therefore, three messages in tongues at most, then hold it until the interpretations are through, then you can start again. All right. Now, in verse 28, he says that uh, if there is no one to interpret, keep silence. Now, the point is that, obviously, if you... He's saying, do not minister. If you've got a ministry, if you have freedom in the Spirit to speak out loud in tongues and interpretations follow, what Paul is saying is that don't ever do it publicly if you have reason to know that there's not going to be an interpretation. Can you see what I mean? Uh, I mean, for instance, um, you know, sort of like, say, for instance, you're in a, a brethren church or a reformed church. There are still many, many churches that think the gifts of the Spirit are demonic. 
They think that speaking in tongues is demonic. They don't believe it. So unless you know that a particular example of these churches are moving in the spirit, I mean, say you were on holiday and you went along to a local church and you found it was brethren or it was reformed or something like that. You know, I mean, they teach gifts of the spirit of the devil. If you're aware that you're in a situation like that, don't speak out loud in tongues because there's no one to interpret. <laughs> Plus the fact, you know, you might bruise yourself when they kick you out, all right? <laughs> but you see, can you see, and, and the, you've got to understand that the emphasis in the Bible is on everything being done decently and in order. The gifts of the Spirit are supernatural, but they are also perfectly sensible. They are also perfectly ordered. Nothing weird about them. Never must Christian worship, never must the ministry of the Holy Spirit get out of hand. Always we must be using our sanctified common sense, doing what the Bible says. So Paul says, if you're with a group of Christians and you know that this group of Christians don't move in the gifts, don't speak in tongues, all right? Because there's no one to interpret, therefore there's no point in you doing it, so just sit down, shut up, pray in English or teach them about the gifts of the Spirit instead, but don't, whatever you do, speak in tongues, because that would just be absolutely crazy. But, having said that, you can also get the situation where you've gone to a meeting, and there's been a tongue, maybe one or two, and no interpretation. That does not necessarily mean, however, that the tongues were wrong. It might mean that God couldn't get through to the people he was trying to give the interpretation to. Can you see? There might have been someone sitting there with interpretation, they just didn't, didn't have the bottle, so they didn't do it. So you see, the point is, if you go to a meeting and there are tongues without interpretation, don't come out ripping it to bits. Oh, there was tongues and there were no interpretation. This is awful. You know, sort of the Bible says that. No, don't do it. It might just mean that there was simply no way that the Lord could get the interpretation through. It doesn't mean that the tongues themselves were wrong. The people who were meant to interpret, um, you know, sort of just didn't, for whatever reason, come through. And who knows, if you go to meetings with that kind of critical attitude, uh, perhaps you had the interpretation, but there's no way that the Lord would get through because you're out of fellowship with him because you're being so critical of them, aren't you? So, can you see, don't, don't ever judge too hastily, all right? There can often be two different ways of looking at something, okay? So then, also, what we want to ask now, we've seen the rules, so um, let's ask this question, how do you know then, if you're supposed to minister this gift in public, whether it's tongues or interpretation. How do you know? Because we've got to be practical. If we don't get down to brass tacks, there's no point doing these Bible studies. Let's do tongues first. How do you know if the Lord is wanting you to do a public ministry tongues, all right, that's going to be interpreted when you've finished? Well, all I can say is this. If you're burdened to speak out in a tongue. You've got a definite burden. Not, oh, wouldn't it be nice? But you're burdened. Because some people are very excitable. Speak in tongues at the drop of a hat. That's not what I'm talking about. If you're burdened to speak out loud in tongues, and uh, the words are coming, that, you know, the tongue is there forming, or what, you know, and it's there, it's, you know, you're sort of like you're ready to go. If you've got that burden, and it's there, and if it's an appropriate moment to do so, not in the middle of the sermon, 
All right? Not in the middle of someone else prophesying, but if there's an appropriate moment, and the rule is strictly this in worship, if there's a silence, fill it. That's the rule. If, if there's not silence, shut up. Can you see, if we all went by those rules, if there's not silence, Beres would shut up. If there is silence, and I feel that God's giving something to me, do it. Can you see? Isn't this practice? Isn't it sensible? So the point is, you're burdened. You, you know, you're coming under the burden, and there's a kind of there's a silence. It's natural, you know, stuff like that. No problem. People are just quiet. There's been singing. There's been praying. There's been worship. If that happens, belt it out. Simple as that. Belt it out. And I mean, belt it out. Do we call not? Anyway, is that someone speaking in tongues over there? Ask them to say a bit louder. What? Can't hear what you say. You know, belt it out. You know, and don't be afraid of making mistakes. Now, we're going to see this all the way through this course. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. We all make mistakes. You will make mistakes. I will make mistakes. Don't let that stop you. And if you belt out a tongue, and kind of after th three sounds, you lose your bottle and it's gone and you run out and you sit back down again. No one's going to mind. They're not always going to be saying, oh, what a twit, what a burk, oh, goodness, what an idiot. You know, no one's going to be doing that. Of course they're not. Don't worry, belt it out, all right. It doesn't matter if you make mistakes. Now, there's a principle here that each one of us... I've got, you're going to set me off now. Don't Stop laughing, everyone, or I'm going to get the giggles, and that'll be absolutely disastrous. No, there's a principle here that we've got to understand, and each one of us have got to apply this principle to ourselves, and we have got to be a bit strict about it. And the principle is this. What sort of person are you? What sort of person are you? When it comes to something like speaking out loud in tongues, let me ask you, is your natural character such that uh, you that you're too likely to do it or is your natural character that you're highly unlikely to do it can you see what i mean let me tell you how satan works here you see because there are different types of people some people naturally hold back other people are naturally over the top all right now when you've got someone who's kind of OTT, over the top in spiritual things, Satan warns them about the dangers of holding back. Oh, you'll quench the spirit. And for people who are over the top, the only scriptures they ever get in a prayer meeting, don't quench the spirit, you know, I want you all to prophesy one by one, can you see? And it's the devil trying to work them up. Whereas, when you've got people who naturally hold back, you know, I wouldn't say, go, you know, boo to a goose, then Satan whispers to them the dangers of going over the top. So can you see that what Satan's doing, he's getting the over-the-top people even more over-the-top, and he's getting the ones with the inferiority complexes who don't say boot or goose, you know, kind of vanishing into thin air totally. You see? Now, this is why I say we've got to judge ourselves accordingly. Are you someone who's likely to do it at the drop of a hat, to do it too easily, or are you likely to be someone who's very unlikely to do it? For instance, let's say you're sitting there and you get a burden to speak in tongues. All right. Now then, let me ask you, if you haven't spoken in tongues in a meeting for the last 10 years, it's very possibly of the Lord. 
Can you see? It's very, it's probably of the Lord. However, if you're sitting there with the burden, if it's the seventh since the meeting started, it probably isn't the Lord. Can you see? You've got to decide which cap fits and you've got to wear it, okay? We've got to judge yourself accordingly. Know whether you're likely to step out too promptly or whether you're likely to hold back. So that's tongues. Really, what I've said, if the tongue's there, if it's silent, belt it out unless it's the seventh one that you've given that night, all right? So let rip. Don't worry about making mistakes. Now, interpretation. Interpretation. How do you know if the Lord wants you to interpret a tongue? Well, there's obvious. There'll have been a tongue to interpret, all right? So that's the first one. So if, if you get a burden to interpret a tongue, wait for a tongue, all right? Very, very important, that. Very, very important. Wait for a tongue. No, I'm, I'm being silly. Yeah, the, the, there's been a tongue, and there you are, and you're wondering, have I got the interpretation, all right? Now then. Same as with tongue. Are you bur- there's a burden to speak out, all right? You're, you're burdened. Burdened, you see. However, you're, you're under starter's orders, all right? You're burdened. That's, you know, under starter's orders, all right? But don't go yet, all right? Don't go yet. Just hold it. This is very important. Because, because it's an interpretation, there's another test that you can apply. With tongues belted out, because the bit I'm going to say now doesn't apply to tongues because you don't know what it means. So with tongues, you get the burden, all right? Belt it out when there's a silence, no problem, all right? But with an interpretation of a tongue, you get the burden, right, fine, you're under starter's orders, but don't go yet. Wait until you get an idea of what the interpretation is. Can you see? Because obviously everything has got to be tested by the Bible. Now, if you just get one word of the interpretation, well, there's not a lot you can do with that. Just belt it out, all right, and let the rest come. So it's stand up, you know, belt, belt it out. Wait for an appropriate moment, not in the middle of the Bible study, all right? But wait for an appropriate moment, belt it out. However, if you get more than that, just make sure that the bird, that the prayer or the praise or your work or the worship that you're getting is scriptural. Obviously, we'll see this in more detail when it comes to the gift of prophecy. But can you see, you get the burden, but just hold on until you you know what the prayer is that the Holy Spirit is giving you as the interpretation. Because remember that when there's been a public tongue, then the interpretation you get is either going to be prayer, like praying for something, all right, Or it's going to be praise, or it's going to be worship, thanksgiving, any of these things. It is always going to be man to God. It's what the Holy Spirit is praying through us. Don't jump in with a prophecy. We'll be doing this next week in more detail, all right? But if someone speaks in tongues out loud, someone will have a prayer or praise or worship bubbling up inside of them. When there's a silence, belt it out, let it go. Again, judge yourself according to how you are, are you too likely to do it, or are you unlikely to do it? Can you see? You must judge yourself accordingly. Okay. So, in regards to this, as we're approaching the gifts, and this is all very, very practical, we've got to be prepared to step out. All right? 
We've got to be prepared to just do it. We've got to be prepared to just make our mistakes. But do remember, if you're someone who's over the top, you must hold back. If you're someone who holds back naturally, you've got to be willing to give yourself or that burden. You've got the benefit of the doubt, can you see? You've got to break through that barrier. But remember, remember, it's far easier to cool down a hothead than it is to warm up a corpse, all right? So there's no virtue in being someone who's very, very held back. There's no virtue in that at all. There's no virtue being a spiritual maniac either, believe me. You know, these people who are just, well, you know, I mean, when it comes to worship, I mean, just, well, I mean, some Christians are just OTT, full stop, all right? I mean, just simple as that. There's no virtue being over the top. There's no virtue being too held back either. But we have got to, to judge ourselves accordingly. So then, there you have it, the gift of tongues. Next time, we're going to do a whole study on the difference between an interpretation of tongues and the gift of prophecy. So next time, we're homing in on that. And then it's only when we've done that that we can then move on and give a study to looking at the gift of prophecy itself. So let's, let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that the instructions in there are so detailed. Lord, we really can't go wrong if we stick by your word. And Father, I pray as well that you'll give us the freedom to make mistakes. Lord, I pray that you'll just give us the liberty of the Holy Spirit. Lord, not to worry about what other people might think. Lord, we ask that through these studies that you'll bring us in, into a greater freedom in moving in the gifts of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that people will come into freedom with tongues personally. Lord, with, with public tongues and with the public interpretation of tongues. And Lord, I pray that if, if there are people here who, who aren't speaking in tongues yet, Lord, I just pray they won't worry about it. Lord, I just pray that you'll work in them and that you'll just sort out whatever it is that's preventing it coming. And Lord, that you'll give them such assurance that even though they can't at the moment, the time will come when they can. And Lord, that you'll just fill them with peace and that that very peace will just be the means of you releasing that gift in their lives. So Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for our fellowship. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, thank you for the coffee that's coming now. Lord, thank you that we can just carry on having fellowship with each other a little bit more casually now. Oh, Lord, just, just bless us, we pray. We need you. Oh, Lord, do for us what we cannot possibly do for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.